Hello and welcome to episode 168 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, my friend, how is everything for you in Chicago? I don't want to talk about myself. I want to talk about you, Stanislav. You know, I'm fine. <laughs> it's good to hear. Everything going smoothly? Yeah. How's, how's work? Pretty sustainable. That's the best you can hope for. <laughs> that's how I'm feeling about it, too, right now. I mean, that's better than earlier before, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. It's better than, better, yeah, better than before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Also with us, uh, that's that's the Godfather, Dave. Dave, you're back. Back from vacation. Oh, yeah. we I, for, I forgot we had series of vacation episodes. I went to Austin, Texas last week, and this week I'm going to Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. Did you ever think your life would come turn out this way, where you're just constantly going between <laughs> Chicago and Texas, back and forth, twice a month? But it's it's quite different from the era when I went back and forth between Chicago and Florida all the time. So I don't know which is better. But um, hi, Florida and Texas. Love you both. Uh, but yeah, I had a good time on vacation. Austin's good. I ate a lot of food. I ate a lot mm. of good food. Mm. Okay, so did you have barbecue? Yeah. Barbecue was hard because I have little kids and waiting in line for some of these barbecue places is tough. Like I didn't get to go to the really cool like Franklin barbecue or something like that, but I did go to Stubbs. There's so many, there's so many good food trucks though. I went to Stubbs, didn't do any food trucks, you know, I just went to like real hip restaurants in the hip areas <laughs> that I heard about. I just wanted to live vicariously through your barbecue eating because that's still one of the things I miss. You know, it was way better was my taco eating. There were a lot of really good tacos there that I enjoyed. Torchy's Tacos, the chain around Austin, and I don't know how how deep into other parts of Texas it goes. I think really it's good. around Dallas and Fort Worth as well. Yeah, dude, I, there's some here, and they're bad. Oh, it was so it was so good there. The the quality, yeah, the quality definitely has gone downhill here. I think they like. I don't think they might run the same owners as they as they do here. So Torchy's, uh, get at us, support our podcast, sponsor our podcast. That's right. We we will be a Torchy's franchise. In a heartbeat. Dave, did you have the queso? Oh, everywhere. they ha- Everybody wants to give you queso in Austin. I, I hear that's kind of the appeal. It is the appeal <laughs> of the town. I heard that it's big tech and big queso is what makes Austin really tick. Actually, <laughs> I... um. I was I was telling people that the weirdest thing about Austin... Not that this needs to go on the podcast. Maybe we'll cut but it out. But it will. No, this, this is all staying. Tanner. Tanner, but leave this all in. It's, I, it's the front. I found the, the battlefront in the crypto wars... And it's not on the internet. It's in it's in Austin. Every there are billboards there that are just like, "Hey, did you know crypto is like cool?" <laughs> it, it's not directed to anybody. <laughs> it's not really branded by anything. Are you it, aware of cool crypto it, things? It's just like crypto is a good thing, okay? And it's just like a big black billboard with white type, and it says on it, "Crypto is fine." <laughs> and I was like, I don't. I don't know what to make it of that or any of this, but okay. We have no opinions on crypto, by the way. Uh, we, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, just don't don't get at us, though. Yeah, don't get at us. Other than uh, confusing advertising campaigns. Well, Dave, I'm glad you survived the crypto wars of Austin, Texas, 2022. Let's talk about this week's show because we have a huge grab bag. We've got new cards, we've got pivot tables, we've got other results as well. Travel plans, we're probably going to mm-hmm. book some some airfare, some room and board live on the show. Wait until you learn our top three travel tips that we sleeve, believe, or heave. We'll kick off a show with 
a look at some of the latest cards revealed from Streets of New Campana over the last few days and weeks. And then we're going to take another look at some of the modern metagame shifts that have been happening in Magic Online tournament results in the latest installment of the monthly report, March edition. And then we're going to also recap the results from last weekend's Nerd Rage Gaming Modern Tournament along with the Mana Traders Modern Tournament. And then finally, we're going to wrap up with a quick chat about our plans of SCG Con Dallas, where anywhere from one to three dive down co-hosts may be present. You have to choose a random number in uh, in a way that you and your <laughs> opponent agree to. Uh, but yeah, we're going to do this big deep meta dive because of one thing and one thing only, and that is because we want to go play some magic in Dallas this weekend. So let's check in on Modern and see what it looks like before we go do that. But first... Let's housekeep. Shout out to the newest patrons to join the Dive Down Nation. We got Clyde A and Jeremiah H. Also, thank welcome. you. Welcome. Yes, welcome to you both. Also, thank you to Cloudy for going up a tier. Love to see that. Thank you, Cloudy. And finally, th- th- thanks, Stevens, Lie, and Clearwater for a couple friendly reviews on Apple Podcasts. One of them was very friendly indeed, if I remember right. Yeah, it's a weird feeling. Having <laughs> anonymous internet fans, but listen, I'm used to it. Yeah, makes sense. Do you think Clearwater is the first Stan Stan? Oh, we know that that's not true. We're all Stan Stans. That's the name of our podcast. There's always money in the Stan Stan. And one thing we should also mention, uh, this is something that community member Citizen of the Nation, Oralox, has been doing for months and months on the Definitively Discreet Dive Dog Discord, is arranging tournaments and this week's is a uh, modern webcam based. If that's something, if you are you know a citizen of the nation already, but not a member, not actively participating in the Discord, come on back for that one. Um, and if you're interested in doing stuff like that, it's another good reason to join the Patreon. So thanks again, Orlox, for arranging that. And looking forward, I'm not going to be able to play because we're going to be in Dallas, but uh, I'm sure that it'll be another awesome tournament because they always are. Yeah, and they're not always modern. They've done legacy tournaments recently. I think they're planning to do some Pioneer in the future. Modern is just the one that's coming up this weekend. So make sure you subscribe over at the Tournament Announcements channel of the Discord. And if you'd like to support us, you can find us at patreon.com slash the dive down, where as little as $1 a day will get you in to... Ooh, a dollar a day, I'll take that. Oh, sorry. We're not NPR. My bad. <laughs> As little as a dollar per episode will get you into our definitively discreet dive down Discord server. By the time you're hearing this episode, you know what I would have done, fellas? I'll tell you. I will have moseyed over to the post office and dropped off like a baker's dozen of deck boxes. You mean play mats? Because it ain't deck boxes yet. That Sorry, too. everybody. Yeah, no, no deck boxes. We have not received them from Germany yet. There are on a plane or a boat or in space. It's playmats, correct. I have a huge stockpile of playmats. I think I'll even post some photos of this small mountain of playmats that <laughs> are going in the mail. So you should see those real, real soon if if you're on the docket. Awesome. Along with playmats, you get other benefits like access to the episode early for the $5 plus patrons. $3 and up gets you a pile of swag like pins and stickers and some custom tokens of us, uh, and uh, illustrated by our buddy, professional comic artist Ben Dewey. These are very cool. You know, we really should get around to making some more of those, but the deck boxes definitely took a lot of our creative juices. So if you do want to support us, uh, help us out, get access to the community of awesome people that we have, and access to some swag as well, patreon.com slash the dive down. Of course, 
Mana Traders, we mentioned them as uh, some, something we're going to talk about, the Mana Traders series of this past month. But along with their awesome free events, you can use them to rent your Magic Online cards. You get 15% off your first two months by using sign-up code THEDIVEDOWN2022, all one word. Uh, and when you're a member of Mana Traders, you get you basically get the real prizes of these free series. Uh, the Mana Traders people get a, a bunch more uh, access to the the prizing of these events. And like I said, they're free to enter, super generous, super easy to play in, uh, and have cool coverage to boot. So manatraders.com, sign up code, the dive down 2022. I feel like we have so much to catch up on Yeah, today. We have this, this huge episode list of things to discuss. We got to talk about a tiny elephant in the room because by the time the show comes out, there's a good chance that most, if not all of our listeners saw a certain Wizards article that was published today and have subsequently marked their calendars for Monday, April 11th. Oh, yeah. And that's after this podcast. I mean, that's before this podcast will come out. No, no that, that's, no, that's after. after. Oh, you're right, man. I forgot how dates work. That's right. We finally did it. We've, you know, Wizards of the Coast, they're kingmakers. They called us into the office and they, <laughs> they made us kiss the ring. And they said, the dive down, you have earned a free preview card from Streets of New Capenna. That's it. We did it. We got yeah. there. <laughs> so we're Don't shutting, talk about it before now. So we're shutting down the podcasts because this was the only. It was this was all a social experiment to see how long it would take us to get a spoiler. It turns out it's 169 episodes. Uh, bye. Before we go, we really, you know, who we need to thank preemptively is the fans because not only have they helped us grow and help nurture the show, but you know, countless people reached out to Wizards on our behalf as well, and like they put our name down in surveys, they sent out tweets. I think there was a letter writing campaign. We never really condoned that behavior, but you know, in a way, we appreciated it. We appreciate you being thirsty on behalf of us. So we're not going to be talking about that new spoiler on this episode, though I do think this is a good transition for some of the other cards from Streets of New Companion we can talk about. And also, look, if you're listening to this on Thursday, sometime Thursday, late morning, early afternoon, depending on where you are in the world, you could also go over to Polygon.com where I'm going to have an article up with some additional spoilers that we're not even talking about today, but we know are coming from this new set that I got to see some of the new mechanics from the set, some really exciting stuff over at Polygon.com. We'll give you your first look over at new mechanics, some of the products, some sweet new cards, everything in between. Awesome. That'll be exciting. So the cards that we do have to talk about, though, we have two cycles, essentially, that I think are worth talking about. One is pretty simple. We haven't talked about them yet on the show. <sighs> and some of us love them and dread them, and, but I think it's worth talking about. The final five triomes, as we all know, have been printed in New Capenna. We haven't been together and had a moment to talk about them since they've been spoiled. Thoughts on the shard triomes being printed? Love it. Love the balance. I, I, I just think that either all or none yeah, should be the exactly. policy at the end of the day. Regardless of their power level, I'd, I'd rather have all than none. Or rather, all than half. One thing I'll say, we know these cards are going to be good. There was some kind of discussion earlier on about, I think during Ikoria, about how good they would be in Eternal formats. Turns out they're very good. <laughs> Even though they come into play tapped, they are super useful. I've noticed that there are many decks in Pioneer, now that we're talking about Pioneer again, given last week's announcement, that run three or four of Triomes in them, depending on what number of colors they're trying to do. 
But in modern, am I right to say that it's likely that these triumphs will be used in a similar way to their, what they're used now, which is basically you might have one to three single copies of triumphs in multicolor decks, which is kind of like the vibe that these have. Yeah, they enable splashing, that kind of thing. They're they're okay drawn late to cycle, just the, the advantages that we know of triumphs, right? I think they'll continue to be more popular in, in mid-range or slower decks, though. Yes. You, I, I don't think you really want to try them in any deck that wants to turn one Ragavan, for instance, or turn one nah. Channeler. Well, I mean, here's the thing. They do see play in four-color, exactly. Like, for example, and that's that's a deck that likes to turn one Ragavan. It also likes to turn one Abundant Growth, too, or turn one prismatic ending, but that's that's the whole thing. Is that yeah, it is a it is a mid range like a one in eighty chance of drawing it or, or or having it on turn one. That I don't think that's I, I think the fact that that's such a thick deck it mitigates the the tension between Ragavan, abundant growth, and and triumphs. Yeah, and that's why you only play these things as a as a as a one of in modern basically. But the main thing I wanted to talk about these really quickly is I don't know what how I mean. Not, not a finance podcast, but I will tell you that I regretted not buying the Triumph, the Ikoria Triumphs when they were like six or seven dollars a piece. And now they're all 14, 15, 20 dollars, I think, right now. And so I think as a modern player, if you can get a hold of one of each of these, it's probably worth it if you can find a good price to, to do it because they're playable in modern. We've established that now. I don't think they're there's any of these that are playable in more than a one of, I, I highly doubt it if they are in modern, but it's probably worth grabbing a playset of them if you can. So the, the real risk here is that it makes five color soup even easier. It just makes more play the best cards that you want to play uh, even potentially easier to you than it already is. I don't know if these actually push that over the line right now like these i don't you know that i don't play these these four color big mid-range style decks uh at all so i don't really know where the tension in the mana bases lie so i've been playing i don't play four color blink but i have been playing have played creativity as i've talked about a couple times which is essentially a similar mana base in some ways to the four four color blink decks and i don't think that any of these cards are really Personally, I don't think that any of these cards are going to change how easy it is to do what you want to do with your mana right now. It's already very easy. I don't know if this is going to lead to a different focus of one of those decks because you already could get access to most of the colors that you want. But, um, you know, I think that it's probably people are probably going to have some uh, preferences for ones that maybe they didn't have access to before and want to start using. Yeah, it's, it's Stan mentioned balance. And I think what's interesting about most of these, uh, if not all <laughs> of these uh, three color combinations, is they're the less represented, usually, color combinations in modern. Uh, Naya, there's not really many Naya decks at all anymore. They used to be kind of Naya Burn and things like that. Esper is not particularly powerful as a three color combination. Uh, Bant. It's now basically, if you play Bant, you can play Four Color. Grixis, that's always kind of bouncing around. Besides Grixis Death Shadow, of course, I don't think Death Shadow is going to play something like this. This is sort of more for a Grixis midrange or Grixis control style deck, which have uh, suffered in the format. And then Jund, as we know, is, is unplayable. So these lands per perhaps might just add to the ability of those decks to get a few percentage points. Yeah, I would even add that 
maybe certain combo decks may benefit from having smoother access to all colors of mana in the way that you know some of the Cascade decks use the Ketria Triome because they don't have these critical turn one plays that they can sometimes like either fetch for a turn one Ketria and then just fetch nothing but basics and basically have perfect mana thanks to that. Those are the scenarios where I'm I'm curious that um, these charms may help enable strategies that are on the fringes become a little bit more consistent because their mana is, is easier to manage. Can we talk about the, the names of these lands though? Oh, they're completely unmemorable. They're not yeah. triumphs. Like why not? Why not just call them triumphs, please? Good M- lord. Moreover than that, and I, this may sound nitpicky, but it actually bothers me when we have these established names of shards or guilds and newer sets sort of abandon those names because I think the history behind some of those names is also important and recognizable. And yeah, when, but you, you can't just throw that flavor in here. Those are just, those are like, those are what they're like lands. Is it like an actual, they're worlds in worlds. shards was different worlds basically. Yeah. But, but we have like band panorama, you know, like those lands existed and, I understand what you're saying with regards to the flavor, but I think giving shards new names entirely, and we saw the same thing in Strixhaven with the guilds. I I just think it like creates some unnecessary confusion when the flavor is a problem that can be solved to to make room for more elegant solutions. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a tough spot for them. I do wish that they wouldn't name name lands things that are tied to planes like that's maddening to me because it means when are they ever going to reprint these only in core sets and then we get that whole problem but um you know we'll cross that bridge some other time but i do think that these are really like really not particularly memorable names and they're all named after characters and yeah i i think it's i think it's a whole thing zeotora's proving ground for turn yeah <laughs> God. I'm going to fetch for Xander's Lounge. Yeah, and I'm going to concede on the spot because you said that in <laughs> earnest. Only if I say it like this, Xander's Lounge. <laughs> you guys ready to talk about the other cycle, though, that I think is potentially more interesting because the cards aren't just lands. Yeah, well, we don't have the whole cycle, but of course you knew that any shard set like this, since they do this almost every time that there's a heavily kind of color tribal shardy set like this is there's a set of new set of charms people love charms people love modal spells and so we have four of the five charms in this series that will help us remember the names of the groups and which one do you want to start with the good one how about obscura charm you think this is the good one yeah i do go on let's make a case let's make a case for it dog obscura charm white blue black instant choose one Return target multicolored permanent card with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Option two is counter target instant or sorcery spell. And option three, destroy target creature or planeswalker with mana value three or less. Yeah, I like this one. What I, I guess what I particularly like about it, I'm just going to cut you off and tell you what I like about it, and then you can build off of that, Stan. Because unlike the previous Esper Charm, which was, in my opinion, primarily focused on card advantage... What Obscura Charm seems to focus on is board advantage. And I like that, where it can it can be a removal spell, it can be a recursion spell, and then in a pinch, if you have no need for either of those, countering instant or sorcery spells is going to come up uh, all the time. So I think that one thing that's good to point out here, too, is that it, it makes it better against different types of decks, too, right? Bringing back a permanent is good against a deck that kills your permanents, and 
destroy a permanent is good against a deck that has a lot of creatures or something like that. And then in the middle is this one where if you're up against some kind of spells-based deck or some kind of combo deck, you have a very expensive out to a game-breaking instant or sorcery, but that's maybe reasonable for game one, and then you figure out where to go from there. Yeah, good call, Dave. I mean, my my only issue with this is I think it's I think all of these modes are a bit off rate even for a charm in modern, but I like the flexibility that you mentioned there, Dave. Just that first mode of return target multicolored permanent with mana value three or less from the graveyard to the battlefield, I think that is kind of pushed. And being able to play this in a deck that runs Teferi Time Raveler in modern, I think I love that interaction, basically. Because then like a backup to fairy. Yeah, it just makes it easier to tick down your Teferi to immediately draw a card and you know, maybe lower your defenses for a minute because you know you're gonna get him back. Does this mean that your Teferi is tapped for the rest of the game? Or do you untap planeswalkers? I think you untap them, but we'll have to okay. call a judge yeah, to check. I guess, yeah, you do you just untap all tapped permanents during the untap phase? I think so. Okay. Well I'm just gonna play my tap the entire time until someone rules lawyers me. You have to untap it. I do I, not. <laughs> I, I do think that the one thing that you have to look at with this card is the think about this in a deck. Any deck that wants to play this card probably wants also wants to play Archmage's Charm. And so you have to think a little bit about the trade-off between those two cards in your three slot. Don't you think? I don't, I don't know if that's true, man, because you could play this in a Niptolite deck. And you're not playing Charm Archmage's Charm For sure. in that. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Or it's harder. Wanna... It's certainly harder, at least. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm imagining it just in a mostly controlish shell where you'd be wanting to do a lot of counter spells. Niv to Light is definitely a different thing completely where you're mid ranging with value, and so I I could see this being a good hit off of off of Niv to Light for and, sure. And, and, and likewise to your point, you know it's going to make it easier to play this and Archmage's Charm is, is the, the obscura triumph. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and even in that case, you're probably only going to want one, right? You're going to just fetch it. You're going to fetch one if you've got it. But yeah. Well, I will mention that Niv looks for color pairs. Do, do three color cards qualify for that? They do not. So, th- so maybe that's not the exact right home, but it's a home, a, a multicolor deck. The onus is you? on you to prove me wrong. How could you, Stan? <laughs> I, thought, you I think I just that? did. How could you do that to me? I forgot about that. You, you. Uh... Let's talk about Maestro's Charm for a minute. This is the Grixis one. Okay. Do you like this one, Shane? No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to read it. Then. It's an instant. It says, choose one. Look at the top five cards of your library. Put one of those cards into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. Interesting note there. Uh, another one says, each opponent loses three life and you gain three life. And then Shane left a mode off. And that last mode is Maestro's Charm deals five damage to target creature or planeswalker. No, I didn't. It's right there. I'm looking oh, at okay. it. Okay. I couldn't read it. Don't don't call me out like that, David. Sorry. On mic. M- maybe you left it out and then someone else added it in. Okay, anyways, Dave, why do you like this? Do you like it? Oh, I would never say that. I mean, I, I think that this one is interesting because it also has a has a removal mode to it and uh, and has a draw mode to it. But this draw feels like kind of mad to me unless you're trying to fill the graveyard for some reason. And of yeah. course, there are plenty of decks in Modern that are trying to do it. The middle mode is just like, come on. Well, I'm never yeah. I'm never doing lose three life and gain three life in, in any of the formats that I care about, I don't think. So I, I don't know. This one seems like it's not going to get there for us personally. Yeah. Like the six point lo- life delta is like not terrible, but like that's usually what a deck that would play this card is not going to be 
killing you in that fashion, really. You know I, mean? I think the digging five for a needed card is the real mode of this with like the removal as like the backup, because like you said, you're feeling delve, uh, other potential graveyard synergies with it in a variety of formats. Five damage is solid from the removal end of things, but we do get that for one mana in uh, modern at least. So the real thing for me is Grixis, like this card is in search of a home, I think, right? Like I don't think there's like a deck that is waiting for Maestro's Charm. Speak for yourself. Yeah, I, I, I will say in defense of the removal side, the removal mode, you are potentially trading up on mana with that as opposed to Obscure Charm where it's destroy target creature or walker with mana value three or less. At best, you're getting par- mana parity and sometimes you're trading down. So I, I do appreciate that this can kind of scale up sometimes. Otherwise, I agree with everything you're saying. I don't know that this is a modern card just at first glance. I mean, I just don't know. It's it's for me. It's just one of those things where maybe there's like a standard Grixis control style shell, or maybe some kind of mid range shell that evolves. But I just like I just don't. There's never been a Grixis control or mid rangey style deck that's really stuck in Pioneer or Modern that I can remember. So there is that weird Grixis um, control deck in Historic that I feel like no one ever talks about, but I'm constantly paired against it on the ladder. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's the Bolus, the, 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 the bolus the, control yeah, deck. Yeah, it's like oops all boluses and a bunch of yeah. control spells. And oh. I wonder if something like that can port into Pioneer, thanks in part to cards like this. I just don't think this card's good enough. You have so yeah. many better options. I, uh, the only way that you would do that is if there was some reason to do the graveyard synergy with this, and I, I don't think that that deck behaves that way, if I remember right. Who wants to talk another about another bad one? No, I want to talk about a good one first. Can we talk about a good one? Fine. Sure. Let's talk about a good card, Shane. <laughs> maybe. Maybe a good card. River, Riveteer's Charm, not Riveter's Charm. This is the Jund Charm. It is an instant. The, river, the Riveteers are my favorite Jack White side project. <laughs> <laughs> Brendan Benson, Jack White, so good. The Riveteer was my favorite 1920s period piece comic book superhero movie from the early 90s. Okay, Riveteers out there. So what you do when you cast this charm is you choose one of the following. You The target opponent, probably the one across from you, sacrifices a creature or a planeswalker they control with the highest mana value among creatures or planes and planeswalkers they control. You may exile the top three cards of your library, and until your next end step, you may play those cards. Or you may exile target player's graveyard. So, speaking of trading up on mana, mm-hmm. I think this does this in a few different ways. I think making your target opponent sacrifice a creature or planeswalker they control with the highest mana value. Yeah, that's pretty darn good. That takes its you know takes care of uh, Merktide, uh, Titan, Omnath, Omnath. Yeah, it's a tricky. It's a tricky card to play. For sure, I don't know if you remember playing Crackling Doom, but it, yeah, it's a total was a Crackling card. Doom effect. It's a, yeah, it's Crackling Doom esque. Um, I used to play that card a lot, and often it's incredible. You feel like you're trading up on mana, like Stan pointed out about the other ones. Other times you feel like, well, I just have this really bad, like non-targeted removal spell. And um, yeah, edicts are always tough like that. Yeah, it's nice that this one's at instant speed for sure. That helps a bit so that you can kind of make it happen whenever you want to and time it correct. You know, if, if they bring on a different threat onto the battlefield, for example, if they cast it while it's on the stack, you can cast this to get rid of the thing that you actually want to get rid of. So there's, there's timing things that you can do to maximize it. But um, I do like that mode of this card for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Jund finally has a good Tron matchup. Thanks to that mode. <laughs> 
the the real secret sauce is I think the exile of top three cards of your library and until your next end step you may play those cards. Especially at instant speed. There's a lot of opportunity for doing fun stuff. I th- I mean I think oftentimes this can read as just draw three cards. And that's powerful in a mid-range deck that wants to refill. We're not just living off of the, the next card of your deck. You're living off three cards of your deck at once. And that can be pretty darn good. Yeah, I it's interesting in the in the Discord today, people were talking a lot how a, a lot about how you would often be mana constrained when you got to this point using this mode, but like you're never casting this during your turn. So yeah. I, I wasn't I, I know that you know some people are like, well, you can't play it with Bloodbraid Elf, and it's like I'm not playing Bro- Bloodbraid Elf. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, 2022, I sold my man. Elves. I'm not playing. Bro- you you found somebody to take him. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a child, a small child. I told him it was a good card. Yeah, I'm not. This was a good card many moons ago. Um, yeah, I I think in the kind of ways that people think about Jund right now, that makes total sense. You Sometimes you get around the corner and you're like, I'm going to hold up some removal. And then when they don't do anything, you cast this, draw three cards, and move on your merry way. It does seem pretty good to me. And then having that mode of main deck graveyard hate just there at the end of it. Sure. Great. Why not? Give it to me. We got one the last one. Cabaretti Charm. Yeah. My favorite pasta. <laughs> it's in the shape of Emmercool's tentacles. Yeah. If it's cool, it's Cabretti. I just love how Shane really wanted to get in on a my favorite bit. Yeah, I did. <laughs> and he snuck it in there. Oh, I got it in there. All right. Cabaretti Charm. Red, green, white. Instant. Choose one. Cabaretti Charm deals damage equal to the number of creatures you control to target creature or planeswalker. Okay. Historically terrible, terrible card that like t- number of creatures you control to a target removal spell don't think it's much better at being stuck onto a charm next g- g- good news two more modes creatures you control get plus one plus one and trample until end of turn mm-hmm. and finally create two one one green and white citizen dive down nation citizen creature tokens the set is just coming up dive down everywhere we look that's definitely the best mode that's the best mode guys this I think this is just a limited, that a limited makes card. Citizens, yes, Dave. Yeah, and also I agree. Uh, this card's bad. It's uh, it's a it's a win more if you have a board of creatures, and it's the, the fallback mode of two tokens is terrible. I think for rate on rate. I think yes. Pr- uh, everything I say in this episode, just imagine I said in my opinion before it, or or at is least that- preface the the statement with allegedly. You know that that's the thing a lot of people got to remember about Shane when they interact with him on the internet or in real life or stuff is just just put I think at the beginning of everything he says and you'll be a lot happier with your conversations. <laughs> just remember that. I've known Shane for like 35 years. It's always been true. Just I mean, put I, I think there. I mean, <laughs> he I think, means I, it. Yeah. He just doesn't say it. Oh yeah, I think in my opinion. No, I often I often feel like I do. I feel like I'm a good conversationalist, Dave. Don't don't you are. I'm not on the conversation bus here. Um you wouldn't be doing a podcast with me if you thought otherwise, I, I would hope. True. But this card sucks. Yeah. Moving on. He thinks. <laughs> in my opinion. My one last question about these charms before we move on is do you think any of them come close to Kaya's Guile or Archmage's charm? Which are if memory serves, like the two cards, the two charm s cards that we actually Colligan's command, but you know, not a command because you get two modes out of yeah, command. That's a command. Out of but yeah. yeah, so it's like Kaya's Guile or Archmage's Charm are, are the closest, and even Kaya's Guile can scale up into a command. But then you're pitching cards, blah blah blah. Two modes is better than one mode. That's my opinion. I think that Riveteer's Charm has a chance to be okay. 
it feels useful enough because it says draw three cards on it. And then I also, I feel like Obscura Charm is a maybe, but it's not going to be more than a, than, it's not going to be a four of. And I don't think Riveteer's Charm is going to be a four of either. I think they're both cards that might be nice, kind of spicy fun ofs in, in your decks that can run them. Okay. Cool spoilers. And we don't want to talk about any of the lords, right? Any of the legendary guild leaders or whatever these are. Uh, I don't think any of them are really there, so just keep that in mind. Yeah, just assume we talked about them and Shane said, I think they're bad. <laughs> in my opinion. I, can I say that I do like the basic lands quite a bit? Like, I know it's just another set with full art lands, but I kind of like they're, the, they're, hitting, they're hitting the mood they're going for. Like, cool, deco-y, uh, architectural. I think they look rad. Once again, Wizards Art Department killing it. Should we take a quick break before we move on to the monthly report and further metagame analyses? Let's do it. All right. We'll be right back. And we're back. We're recording this on April 4th. May the April 4th be with you. And you know what that means? We have an entire month of March with Magic Online Tournament data. So I put it into my favorite spreadsheet, and I've broken out a little trend line of the most popular decks, the most popular cards, and looked at what's getting more and less popular in both of those categories. Now, Stan, you refused to share this data with Shane and I before the show. I did. A real risk. You want our live reactions. I hope I have enough in my heart right now to give you what you're looking for live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope so too. There were a couple instances where once I saw the data, I was like, say what? And I'm curious if you guys will have similar reactions to that. Worth pointing out, of course, with March is that the data is kind of split into two halves because a couple weeks into the month, Luris was banned. And prior to the Luris ban, we may recall from February, Luris-based decks were at the top of the metagame, especially Grixis Shadow and Hammer Time. And then a couple weeks into March, Lyris was banned. And what did we see but a pretty significant shift in those top decks? So let's start with just a quick look at what were the most popular decks in March in Modern. With almost 10% of the monthly metagame was Merktide Regent. In fact, it was 16% more popular than it was in February. So 10%, huh? Yeah, almost 10% Merktide Regent. On the entire, all of all the Magic Online events that you looked at in the across the whole month, it added up to ten percent Merktide. Correct. Yeah, and and the sample size is about ten tournaments, and that wow. included challenges, super qualifiers, and I even throw threw in the SCG Con Indy five K because we got like the top sixty four. So I so I used that data as well. Wow. Okay. Believe it or not, Merktide Regent though it was the most popular deck. And it had a pretty big lift of 16%. It did not have the biggest lift month over month. What did? Is it second place? Is it something else? Am I waiting? It was the third place deck. Okay, well, give me the second place then. Still hammer time. Yeah. It's not dead yet. Not dead yet. Six, A little over 6%. It was a drop of 57%. So it did wow. significantly less popular, but still pretty up there. Now, that, that doesn't include what happened over this weekend, though does it right where there was a random challenge where three of the top four decks were hammer time too right yeah and then a bunch more in the top 32 we'll get to that in the april yeah, month interesting later. interesting yeah all right third place with the 
one of the most significant month over month lists. Can I, can I guess? Can I guess? Can I guess? Please do. L- living end. Uh, oh, poop. Dave, you want to guess? I think that the number three deck is Amulet Titan. Uh, oh, oh, okay. Burn. Crashing. Then it's crashing footfalls. Oh, that's a ding, good one. ding, ding, ding. Crashing footfalls. It <laughs> went up to six percent. Hundred and fifty nine percent lift. Wow, <laughs> hugely popular. So okay, well, just to put that in perspective, so one hundred fifty nine percent is what like going from six to fifteen, two point three to six point one. Okay, got it. Wow, it's wow. all relative. That's big. The other category also had a, a a slight increase, which just speaks to deck diversity, right? Where we're talking about like ones and twos that don't necessarily fall into the buckets of the most popular decks to appear within a tournament. Blink also actually had a pretty significant drop off, though. Um, even though that is the next most popular deck, five point five percent drop of almost minus forty percent. It went from like nine point four in January, nine point zero in February, and now it's like five point six. That's fascinating because everybody thought that Blink was going to be it. Yeah. And, and people it, are still talking like it is it. And it does pretty well it's sometimes. It. You know, we see it in top eights. What is it? Yeah. We see it in top eights. And I wonder if part of that just has to do with people realizing that the deck is hard and not always great. And when occasionally we have conversion rates for some of those decks, they're not super impressive. Well, we're going to have conversion rates for some of those decks coming up. We'll see them in the ter- the other tournament, the paper tournaments we're going to talk about. That's what I call a tease. Um, I'll just rapid fire through some of these other ones. Death Shadow was still up there. It's the next most popular after Blink. It did drop 43%. Mm. Burn had a 90% increase. Amulet Titan had a slight decrease of 11%. Living End also had a decrease, which mm. I think is really shocking because it had such a breakout pair of weekends. <laughs> But that's a perfect it, time for it to break out. Yeah. And then Yawgmoth had, had another strong month. It was up 40%. So what, what's the percentage of Yawgmoth on the meta? Just under 4%. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So it's just, it keeps hovering. It's like, that's like Yawgmoth is permanently there, right? It's like four to 5% of like any given meta or tournament meta. Just the, the Yog folks are playing Yog. Seems to be. All right. So before we move on to the top eight rates, Stan, unless you have, something else before we do that could you read down the top 10 decks in order with their percent metas so we got the commentary could you just read the list for our listeners one is murktide 9.5 percent followed by hammer time 6.3 crashing footfalls 6.1 other 5.9 whoa blink 5.6 death shadow 5.6 Burn, 5.2. Titan, 5.2. Living End, 4.3. Yogmoth, 3.8. Tron, 3.8. Dredge, 3.0. Mm, dredge. Wow. That's a little over 10. That was 11. I'll, you know what? I'll, I'll also throw in Azori's Control. Oh, please don't. 2.4. 2.4. I mean, it's interesting to hear how many decks are f- hovering around that like four, five, six percentage, which actually I think modern is a lot more interesting when there's a bunch of decks at yes. that kind of rates and maybe one deck that's approaching 10% as opposed to what's gone on recently where we have three decks that are above 10% or something like that. Yeah. So I think that's cool. I mean, it's a good list. The list in order that you read it is not too much of a surprise. Some of the percentages certainly are, especially when you consider your month over months. Yeah. But it sounds good to me. Yeah, so a new addition I had this month that 
I'll, I'll avoid talking about it in the same minutia is I, I trended out top cards from January through March just to get a sense for what, what were actually the most popular cards in a given month and how did that, how that changed. And this is one of the surprises that I had for you guys, because one of the things that jumped out to me was when I was looking at all these individual tournaments and identifying what the most popular card was per tournament, there was a pretty sudden but noticeable change after the Luris ban. So pre-Luris ban, the most popular cards in order of like the first three tournaments were Ragavan, Asper Sentinel, Ragavan. And okay. then po- post-ban, back from the grave. Most popular card in modern, at least in you know the first challenge post Luris, Lightning Bolt. Wow, just like Ooh. that. Yeah. Second challenge post Luris, Counterspell was the number one. No, icky. Yeah. On March nineteenth, on March twentieth, most popular card, Force of Vigor. <laughs> wow. Cheers. Lachaim. Then we had Lightning Bolt again. Lightning Bolt back to Ragavan. Back to Lightning Bolt. And, you know, some of those Luris decks played Lightning Bolt, but I guess just the number of Lightning Bolts have gone down. And, and, and likewise, as we pointed out, the popularity not only of Merktide Regent went up, but the popularity of Burn went up a little bit. And I think that helped quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that's enough to make a big, a big change there. So meta, like the meta dispersing a little bit, plus Merktide going up and Burn going up probably is enough to push Lightning Bolt up to the top of that list again. Yeah, since these days, those are basically the only two cards that uh, reliably will run three to four bolts. Like Merktide sometimes plays three, though more often than not, I'm seeing it play four nowadays too. Yeah, Shadow is not even running any right now, which has been an interesting change as I've played with that deck some lately. It's just doesn't have it not even not even one of yeah it's yeah. just so wild to me so that being said the most popular card was still ragavan in the month of march looking at just like the relative number of ragavans against the total number of cards yeah, what's our what's our ragavan ratio stan it's about 11 percent of like all the cards that were picked up by goldfish 11 percent of them were ragavans what that can't be true can that be true? It's a lot of Merktides, dude. And and re- again, remember, this is this includes pre-Luris data when like there was so much shadow going around. Wow. And Ragavan, and, and we also saw Ragavan get picked up in some of the four-color decks, which are running a place out of it as well. That said, it did drop off 14%. The second most popular card then was Bolt, which grew 14%. And that was about 11% of cards. Wow. Fascinating. Okay. Followed by Expressive Iteration, down almost 20%. Still the third most popular, though. Counterspell, up 74%. Force hmm. of Vigor, up 99%. Then Unholy Heat, Bobble, still up there, though it's minus 40%. And yeah, I'm curious what Bobble's going to be in, in uh, April's report. Yeah. Another big drop-off uh, was Dragon Rage Channeler, down 38%. Interesting. I mean, Bobble's still kicking it if there's that much Murktide floating around, Shane. And especially if you look at the two tournaments that we have, not to spoil anything, but Murktide was also the top deck in each of those metas. What else do you have for us, Dan? All right, here's where I'll wrap it up. Let's just talk about some of the winningest decks. Looking at top eight appearances, we have a tie for first between Murktide region and Crashing Footfalls. And I think this goes to show that we have more post-Luris tournaments than pre-Luris tournaments. And then tied for second was Hammer Time, Elementals, and Four Color Blank. And in some of these elemental cases, I think that rolls up like certain four color strategies too. 
So there you go. Um, if, if we look at the winningest decks, so in this case, just finalists, Crashing for False is actually the most successful finalist four times that it make it into first or second place. Wow. Yeah. Cascading Rhinos. Here's a surprise for you. The, the only other decks that appeared in the finals more than once, two times a piece was Hardened Scales, Murktide, Elementals, and Azorius Control. And then we have eight one-ofs, and those were The Rock, which we talked about last week, Mardu Midrange, Living End, Hammer Time, Grixis Shadow, Grinding Station Breach, Band Control, and Four Color Blink. Wow. And the last thing I'll say is that no deck won more than once. We just have 10 winners, and those were The Rock, Hardened Scales, Mardu Midrange, Living End, Hammer Time, Shadow, Elementals, Footfalls, Bant, and Azorius Control. I mean, that's kind of cool that there's only... You know, yeah, there's ten different winners for the month in, on Magic Online. Yeah, I thought so too. Even yeah. though everybody plays Lightning Bolt, I mean this 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 post Luris metagame already starting to feel pretty good. It's just it seems like a lot flatter. It seems like you know we're going from what four to nine percent, ten ish percent of of the decks in the that are represented even in this competitive meta on Magic Online. I don't think you could be much more happy than that. Yeah, I mean, I am a little bit worried that all the, like, all the black decks are gone now, yeah. you know, except for Grix's Death Shadow. Living is End's there. a black deck, sort of. What is? Living End? Get that word out of your mouth. There's I'm, no, no, in no sense. I mean, even though it can't produce any black mana, it's got, like, what, 12 black cards in it? It's got Grief and, yeah. Grief, Living End, Architects of Will... Good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that we'll we'll see how things Street continue Wraith. to develop, but it is on that is an unfortunate thing. Although I do think that the meta feels more healthy generally right now. What about Yogmoth, sir? Sure, Yogmoth. Okay, black Count cards it. in that deck. It's a green deck, but okay. There you go. Proved you wrong yet again. Did it? All right. So Stan's monthly trends, and thank you for sharing those with us. I feel like we need a jingle or something like that for it. Maybe we can make one. Exactly. Let's do it. We know some musicians out there, like you, sure, Dave. Right now. Right now. <laughs> uh, send them in if you got a jingle for Stan's monthly meta meta analysis. We love it. I mean, I think it's really cool to see. Of course, this month was a little bit hard to take a look at because of the Luris ban, but you know, stuff changes. We got to try to track it somehow, and so we just are going to keep going like this. Um, and I think that that provided a really good picture, like I said, of the two paper tournaments that we had this last weekend that we can look at in depth as we prepare to think about what to play in Dallas this weekend. The first one, we had two tournaments. As I said, one was paper, one was on Magic Online. And so the first one we're going to look at is the Energy Modern 20K Showcase Showdown. So Shane is going to take us through this tournament. Sweet. Shane should probably do that one. I should probably yeah. do this one because uh, I didn't write all the notes. So for for this one, not the whole episode. There's 13 pages of them. So the <laughs> NRG Modern 20K Trial, the latest in the NRG series, uh, not a trial showcase showdown. What's a showdown? Well, so no, no. Well, the trial is the whole is is the no. The showdown is the overall event. It contained a 20K tw- trial and a 5K trial. Uh, I guess you read some 20K Modern Showcase on Saturday with a 5K showdown. I don't. I don't think it's what it is, but I'm just going around with it. This Energy, t- get out of sponsor our podcast. Let's just call them regionals. 257 players, basically, a cool, awesome Midwest event uh, run by NRG. 
uh, great coverage, great players. Uh, some of these players are starting to get names for themselves in the larger community. Uh, people like Piper Paul, Will Kruger, Jesse Robkin, Joe Bernal, Connor Mullally, bunch of other folks uh, if i'm if i'm not saying a name you think should be on this list pretend i did uh they're grinding these tournaments planting their flag as players to beat not only in the nrg series but uh online any event they're going to be at i'm sure they're going to do well so the overall meta we had 257 players uh with 257 decks there is some overlap. Um, there might be some data messiness here. I did check down the list on the MTG Melee website. I thought it was pretty darn well normalized, so it should be pretty close to the actual percentages. So we'll start. There's a bunch of them because, like we said, the meta is getting pretty flat, but there's some interesting overlap in what you were talking about, Stan. We have Is It Murktide at 9%. Percent of the meta, Teamer Crashcade at about six, Burn Variants about six, Four Color Blink featuring Yorian about six, Amulet Titan about six. Okay. I mean, sounds really close yeah. to what Stan yeah. shared for the overall Magic Online meta for, for March as well. Yeah. So that, that's a good start. Burn was a little bit more popular here, but otherwise, like, it almost lines up perfectly. Well, you know what they say about Fort Wayne, Indiana? It's a real burn meta. Yeah, it's hot. It, it's not actually the hottest city in Indiana. <laughs> uh, let's continue on. We have Azorius Control featuring Kahira at about 5%. Living End, 3.5. Mono Green Tron, two, and, and Golgari Yogmoth at 2.7. Grixis Death Shadow, Four Color Control, and Azorius Hammer at 2.3. And then below 2% is my arbitrary cutoff for other in this this tournament. 45.7% other. Hoo-wah! Is that all two? Is that twos and ones? Is that what that is? Um, well, there's 257 decks, so two percent of that would be like what four copies? I don't know. Do the math, math, Dave. What am What's I? Math? Am I a Sega Genesis commercial? It's five copies. Okay, so okay. much like Stan's meta game, this is this is a real post Luris casual spike meta. If you ask me, like we don't have a single deck over 10 percent. 46 percent of the meta game is are decks that are below two percent of the overall meta. What are you guys thinking about this? Is this what is to be expected from paper tournaments in general? Even if Luris was still legal, do you think we would still have such a big other bracket? I mean, I think we can we can just go back to uh, a Luris paper tournament. I think uh, we had fairly like recently, right? Hunter Burton, maybe. Or? Yeah, I think I think we definitely had a, a smaller other pie for sure. We definitely had bigger wedges of Hammer and Murktide. Shadow and Murktide in before. They were all cl- above 10, I think. So we had three decks that were bigger. I think that Shane has cut off other maybe a little bit higher than than we do sometimes when we do this with the num- just the sheer number of decks. I mean, 2% is usually, usually the cutoff. Yeah, 2% makes sense too, so. What do you think about the actual decks? Hate them. Yeah, all of them. <laughs> I mean, what's what's weird is like, I'm looking at this list and I'm like, there's not many of them I really want to play on this, the whole right side of this graph. It's just like. Oh my God, Shane. Yeah, what about the third most popular deck? The one you keep threatening us that you're going to run. Yeah, I mean, I have to, I've had it rented for a few weeks now. I mean, like, so, I mean, they're, they're there at 6%. Doesn't mean that they're winning. Worth, well, we'll worth talk more that. about that later. Yeah, we will. So, but um, overall, I mean, this is kind of like, this is the MH2 as we've settled into it. Uh, now that we've lost Luris, the thing that's most surprising to me in percentage, at least, of representation 
is the 2.3% of Azorius Hammer. There were additional mono-white hammer pilots as well. I decided not to incorporate them into there. I think there were maybe four of those, so that would have brought it up to maybe in the three-ish percents, but still that's a huge fall for Hammer to have taken uh, since Loris got banned. And I, I think people have always liked to talk about, about how explosive Hammer is and how it just went out of nowhere. But I think we maybe underestimated just how much Luris was adding to this deck's win percentage, both in terms of just its recursion ability, but that also added to the wins out of nowhere. Because you play a Luris, you play the card out of the graveyard, and you win with it. But It, it can be that Lura, it, Hammer might have also just been good at beating other Luris decks as well. Like It can be both things. It can be that Hammer became less good, and also the metagame that it was good in has, has also gone. Yeah, and as Dan was saying, we saw a boatload of force of vigors people are still fighting against this deck yeah i mean people are still fighting against belcher too apparently and belcher you know had its spike a few months ago and it's it's down and out of there as well right now i mean the the combo decks that we've settled on here are back to it's being back to cascade essentially so what we have is we have a contingent that's big mana we have a contingent that's kind of mid rangey we have a contingent that is four color blinky and we have a contingent that is cascadey yeah, and, and Force of Vigor is good against decks other than Hammer. I mean, it's it's great against Urza Saga. It's really good against Amulet Titan, especially. I think th- the rise of Vigor may be something in of a response to the perceived threat of Titan, in fact. Let's talk about the, the biggest surprise here is how many decks that are in this pie, pie that are in the top half of this metagame that are running Saga. There's really only two. Yeah, It's only Amulet Titan and Azorius Hammer for a card that was propping up something like Jund. You know, which was is a I think still a reasonably good deck, even in the post Luris meta, completely gone. But um, it's not showing up here at all, and that might be one of the bigger bigger fallers as well in this meta game is that Urza's Saga is not being played quite as much, at least to my eyes, right here. Time to sell all my copies. What's also interesting here too is this is a paper paper meta game. It is people bringing their decks, and Jund is not here. Even by the paper grinder crowd, Fort Wayne, Indiana, Jund Central, I've always been told, uh, only two players brought Jund. Either a Jund Saga deck, which of course I think now that Luris is gone is not as much of a deck at all, but even Jund Midrange, two players, kind of surprising. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, Everett would like to have words with you if you think that Jund Saga is not a deck right now. He's been, at least last week, he was killing it on magic online with it so i i still think it's a deck but i do think one thing i would note is the people who are hardcore jund people for years probably don't feel like jund saga is really the same deck that they built yeah. mm-hmm. over the years and so that's that's a le- less of a reason for them to sleeve up their old deck and bring it out to something like this i think the other problem is that the hardcore jund players who need to keep their deck foil would be spending a thousand dollars on ragavans and at least sagas to make sure that their whole deck is shiny and that's the real barrier that's keeping from this deck being popular in paper yeah it's it's super interesting you know if you look at this i mean the the what mid-range deck is here at all it's really just four color blink which sometimes behaves mid-rangey and sometimes behaves controlly I mean, I, I would actually say Murktide's kind of a mid-range deck. You think so? I always thought it was more kind of con- tempo control in a similar vein to Shadow, but 
I guess I'm wrong. Well, well, I think the fact that it is a tempo deck is what makes it mid-range, because sometimes you're leaning on your counter magic and playing a controlling deck and finishing with Murktide, and other times you're playing an aggro deck with monkeys and channelers and trying to apply as much pressure early as possible. Yeah. Well, hey. before we have everyone turn off our podcast, because you mentioned the word tempo, let's get into win rates of these decks. So yeah. uh, a handy thing with Melee's reporting is we get to see the archetype win rates, and there's some surprises there for me at least. So of the decks with 2% or more representation, here are their win rates going from best to worst. Living End, 66%. Okay, before we, before we respond to that, Teamer Crashcade, 57%. So yes, the two Cascade decks led the pack by quite a bit, especially Living End. Wow. Jesse and I were talking about this in the Discord, and there's it's a little bit reflective of what we saw at SCG Indie, where Living End also put up several results in one of the modern tournaments, top eight of the modern tournaments there. So this is, I don't know if it's two weeks in a row or maybe twice over three weeks, something like that, but Living End has been having a hot, you know, few weeks, especially as... I think people are starting to get their footing in in a post-Lurus world. A dead, it? cold living in spring. Yeah. My my favorite <laughs> <laughs> my, my favorite cult early two thousands comedy. Yeah, I mean, you know that that turtle just really made the deck a lot better. I don't know that that's you mean the two of <laughs> the, the two, two of. of turtle that caused the two. three to recast your cascader or, or or two to clear the way for something. Yeah, and and I also wonder if Crashcade. Being so popular is the fact that like it's got endurances to deal with both Living End and Murktide, as well as Force of Vigors to deal with Amulet or, or whatever else is playing Urza Saga. I mean, Stan, we can also just say that the Cascade mechanic is extremely good and extremely redundant right now with without costing a lot of deck building. So Cascade is good. And unless you're coming prepared for Cascade uh, with a certain number of, let's say, Chalice of the Voids or Void Mirror or whatever your hate of choice to Fairy Three, um, Flusterstorm, Flusterstorm, yeah, I think I think yeah, that's I mean, Dave, the thing. Yeah, Dave like, mentioned. Yeah, black decks are are kind of struggling right now. So, yeah. although according to these results, maybe not so much because the third deck on the list is. Grixis Death Shadow with a 45.5% rate. Sorry, 54.5%. My bad. Yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's still like, I mean, that's pretty up there. I mean, 55% is a, is a good deck uh, showing, especially for, you know, Grixis Death Shadow is not the easiest deck in the universe. It's never the easiest deck in the universe to pilot a mid rangey style deck to success. And so, GDS putting up like a 55% win rate, pretty darn good. Yeah, but only 2.3% of the field was. Grixis Shadow, though. So I, I I think it was actually very possible for the Cascade decks to dodge it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. When you have that many more pilots, yeah, it's just going to happen. Or they you just get lucky. Or the fact that, like, you can't thoss he's at the top of the deck. So, you know, you just you just draw one of your 12 Cascade cards, and there you go. I do try to Thoughtseize, but that, that card don't exist yet. <laughs> I, I keep trying to Thoughtseize at the top of their deck, and they say it's not legal. Uh, 53% Azorius Control. Yogmoth also a 53 and four color blink at fifty point five. So those are our fifty percent plus decks uh, above fifty. Above fifty percent. Yes, you did cut off burn there, which yeah, is so, at 50%. yeah, that burns at fifty. Okay, so we'll include. Why is it burn variants? By the way, okay, so burn variants mean they had 
it was mostly Burrow's Burn. There was a few like burns, Burn-ish decks. Like there was a uh, Mardu Burn. There was a Rakdos Bump in the Night style Burn. No. That kind of thing. Yeah, just people going back to that old chestnut. So uh, I, I didn't want to call it Burrow's Burn because that would be a lie. So let's go to sub 50. We have Murktide, 49. Amulet Titan, 48 and a half. Green Tron at 48. Azorius Hammer at 46.5. And <laughs> this is my favorite. Four color control at sixteen percent with a win rate, <laughs> a record of five, nineteen, and four. How is that one possible? I that don't know. That is so wild to me. Maybe some, maybe some really re- people who thought they were really good at four color control. I, I do have to ask, and I, just because I didn't have a look at MTG Melee, did you check and make sure that these were actually four color control and not indomitable creativity decks? Because it keeps getting oh, tagged as yeah as control and different results that I've seen. I'm going to take a look really quickly, but because I don't know what four color control is, if it's not your in, you know? Yeah. But, but at any yeah. rate, look for something. I can't believe that record. It's un- unbelievable that it's like, here's all the decks that were above 50%. And then this one was it. You almost never see a result. That's a like 16%. Yeah. I don't know, but it's, it's not great. So Yeah. What are your what are your thoughts on this? We really only had seven large archetype groups at fifty percent or better, uh, and we kind of talked about how you know Cascades really showing up. Here's what I think: it's a good time to be a rogue. That's what I I think that this meta looks like to me. Like if you have a deck that can deal with Cascade, and you can, you probably have a chance to do some stuff that you want to do that's outside of the meta right like at least in a paper tournament where it's 50 percent of of the decks are other you know for once you can probably go and do something else if you wanted to play not your pet deck maybe but maybe something that is different than the norm you might have a chance to pick up some some points there because i don't know where the rest of these wins are going if so many of the decks in the top 50 are performing below 50 percent and there's not really a way for us to track the win rate of other either. So I got to think that other probably did okay at this tournament. <laughs> if one of the top, if, if more around half of the top decks did less than 50%. Yeah. My, my concern here, and this is of course one tournament. I'm not saying we need to like, we're not going to go ban anything, right? I'm not saying that cascade is, is busted and needs to go, but is it, is Cascade like our newest affinity of like 2016 or like Dredge of, I don't know, what, 2018? Like, it's just like you either have to have a, a good amount of hate or the right deck choice or you're going to get steamrolled by Cascade. Here's what I would say. It's not new. This deck has been around for a, over a year now, thanks to Shardless Agent. So I don't think it's the new affinity. You know, it's uh, these are decks that have been lurking around and doing very well at different points in time a while. Yeah. And I think if you don't have a good game plan against cascade decks in your modern deck, you're not really prepared to play a big tournament. You know, they're going to, they were here before they were at the top of the meta. They were, maybe they were the sixth and seventh place decks in meta share before. And there's a lot of options, right? I mean, Stan, you, you have done a lot of work with teamer Mm -hmm. and now you've been dipping your toe in living end. Yeah. And I mean, there's people have plans against you. Yeah, I've actually put together a handy list of cards that are really good against Cascade decks. Mm-hmm. Either both Cascade decks or, or individual ones. May I share them really quick? Sure. Against all the Cascade decks, 
Flusterstorm, Spell Pierce, Test of Talents, Teferi Time Raveler, Void Mirror, Lavinia, Damping Sphere, Silence, Chalice of the Void are all playable cards. Sometimes just like shutting them down cold. Ranger Captain of Eos. Yeah, no, I mean, th- th- that's a, sil- that, but... a silence effect, as we yeah. say, in, yeah, among fair. old school magic players. Say, what about fair. cards I want to play? Okay, Shane, I got some of those for you, too. Rest in Peace, <gasps> Leyline of the Void. Oh, yeah. Tormod's Grift, mm. Dothy Voidwalker. Yeah. Engineered Explosives, Soul Guide Lantern, Thoughtseize, Inquisition, <laughs> Surgical Extraction. Yeah, remember, remember when everyone was packing? Remember when people like were just packing, like, a couple copies of EE, like a couple copies of Chalice, like in every deck. And like, yeah, the people just forget about these things. Like, I mean, Grixis has, has been playing Grixis Death Shadow has been playing him the whole time. It's still playing, playing them now. Yeah. Like now I will say there is, there is some, a difference here, right? Like EE is not good against living end. Correct. <laughs> right. Yeah, so that's a so Rhinos you, card. You do have to have in mind, like, what am I supposed to do against these things? Because there are de- there are cards that are good against both, and then there are cards that are only good against against one of the two. And so, of course, you know, the graveyard hates good against living end. It's not good against rhinos. The cheap permanent destruction stuff is good against rhinos. It's not good against living end. It's like one way to think about it. So you're, you know, hit it sugu is good against rhinos. It's not good against living end. Well, hold on, Hidetsugu chapter two exiles graveyards. There you go. Oh, right. Yeah. So if you get if you get that out there in time. So, then, so yeah, you have yeah. to time it. Yeah. I, I that's I, I that's not necessarily the card I would side in, but I think you can get lucky, right? Yeah. But my main point is just keep in mind there there is an overlap and like hand disruption, counter spells, chalice, void mirror, like those things are good against both both of the decks. Now, they both have plans to be able to answer them, of course, in different ways, but you have to be able to think about that's one of the things that you have to know about the, the matchup, when, especially when a combo decks like these are so popular in the meta. Right on. That's a, but we have so much more to talk about. Uh, let's not talk about how to tech against these decks any longer, even though I want to hear all the ways to do it. Uh, let's talk about the top eight. So I got, the, I got a chance to watch a decent amount of the top eight rounds. They showcase some great play. Uh, in my opinion, uh, Anurag and Joe were awesome in the broadcast booth as well. I thought Anurag had a ton of great energy. He was insightful. Uh, so here's our go to our top eight. We have Piper Powell on Living End. Second, Jonathan Hobbs, four-colored blank featuring Yorian. Third, Tim Wynn on Blue Moon. Fourth, Raja Suleiman on Azorius Control. They had three Chalice main and a Wandering Emperor main. So going back to the Chalice on the main deck, probably a smart move. <laughs> a great way to get yourself into fourth place in a Cascade heavy meta. Fifth place, Kyle Russell on Living End. Sixth place, Jordan Lidsky on Four Color Blink featuring Yorian. Seventh place, Zoe Riederman on Living End. Riederman on Living End. Eighth place, Benjamin Greatert on Four Color Blink featuring Yorian. And Piper Powell took it all down, beating Jonathan Hobbs in the finals. Uh, I believe she also took first place in first seed in the legacy event on Sunday as well, somehow. So Piper Powell is killing it. Piper is someone we've talked about from results on Magic Online in the past as well. I don't remember um, her screen name at this point, but definitely have seen some work there. This top eight is kind of the stuff of nightmares for me, (laughs) for what it's worth. Like, 
living end, Yorian, blue eye control, is it control, and no fun for anybody. Although I'm sure that the people who piloted these decks had fun. It's just <laughs> wow, it feels like it feels like not exactly where I want to be seeing these lists. But it happens sometimes like this. I don't know. What do you think, Stan, of the top eight with a bunch of you've been playing Living End? Are you happy to see it performing so well? I guess so. They're gonna get yeah. hated out. I mean, you know I'm happy to see it because I've been buying up the cards. And I'm trying to get Shane's griefs to finish the deck. Oh, they're in, they're in the they're in the the, the 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 trade binder for when I see you next, Dan. Wee! I should probably find the time to do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, th- I think it's cool. I I think Living End was a known entity that people may have been underprepared for. That said, I think it's also interesting that four color blink decks like did so well here, even though we were just talking about how poor the conversion rate was for four color control. And four color blink just being like a 50% deck in this tournament still managed to put three copies into the top eight. Just goes to show you that I think a deck like this is so skill intensive. Yeah. That every choice matters. Every choice matters. And if you're looking at the tournament results this week to decide on what to play in Dallas or Pittsburgh or, or other tournaments moving forward, I would actually consider the skill cap for some of these decks in your own experience, because something like Living End, yes, there are challenging lines and decisions, but it's a much more linear deck. And Four Color Control, albeit the pile of all the best cards in the format, you still have to understand your position and your role in a lot of matchups and which cards matter and how to sideboard in a Yorion deck altogether and, and even how to mulligan in a Yorion deck altogether or how to close out games that go super, super long sometimes. That's why we saw... You know, in the four color control stats, it was five nineteen four because people were sometimes like going to time and getting draws that way too. Living in is probably a really good deck to pick up right now, but also be prepared for a bunch of hate. I think just around the corner, and maybe living in is going to be like really good inside events, and unless it's actually doing something super truly broken. Which I mean, it's a powerful deck. I, I I think it's debatable whether or not it's it's doing something, you know, intrinsically unfair and in, in, in that broken category that even a ton of hate isn't good enough to stop it. I would anticipate that it's going to have a little bit of a decrease, you know, in Dallas and Pittsburgh, just because people are going to start packing like four copies of graveyard hate cards into their sideboard and maybe even like Endurance's main deck to help deal with it in game one sometimes too. Yeah, or extra extra spell counterspells you know cheap counterspells out of the sideboard Mm -hmm. kind of stuff why don't we take a look at another another tournament different perspective on today mana traders swiss what do you think about that i can go through these results quickly let's do it how fast all right yeah so i'm not going to go into as much depth here but i think a different perspective just to see what people pick up on magic online when they are not constrained by the bonds of paper the interesting thing is that this tournament the mana (laughs) Mana trader swiss also had 221 players so it was only a little bit smaller than the energy tournament uh bam zing friend of the show unofficial fourth host of the dive down uh, I think was on the analytics for mana traders here and it posted up a pretty detailed breakdown on Pacebin that included deck lists for every single deck, the meta, the meta share for all the decks, and then some conversion rates as far as what decks performed extremely well at six O's or better. Um, I have not seen the results of the tournament overall. Um, 
I looked at, I tried to look for them on Sunday night. I couldn't find them yet. So we're mostly just going to talk about the overall meta and what decks performed well using that six wins as a, as a metric for a conversion. So here's the meta. Blue Red Merc Tide, 18% of the meta. Blue Red Merc Time, actually 18.6%, so almost 19. Living End, 7.7%. Amulet Titan, 6.8%. Teamer Footfalls, 5.9%. Mono Green Chan, 5.0%. Yogmoth, 5.0%. Hammer, 5.0%. Four Color Blink, clocking in at 4.5% of the meta. A lot smaller, farther down the list than it was at Energy. And then Grixis Shadow 4.1 and Dredge at 3.2. I'm going to stop talking at 3% decks, though there were a few other decks below that that are notable. Interesting things here to me. So Murktide was also the number one deck, the same as it was in Energy, but the meta share was double. Yeah, quite a bit more. It was 18% as opposed to 9% in the paper event. Cascade decks made up more of this meta online. Living End was a 7% or set almost 8% deck, like we said. At Energy, it was 3.5%. Teamer was the second most popular at Energy. It was fourth here, but in both cases, it was around 6%. So really, a lot more people were playing Living End than anything else. Titan was very close to the same. There was more green Tron online and more Yogmoth, And no burn. Yeah, real lack of burn here. It's not a burn meta online. Real cold, Burn real was, chilly. Was two point seven percent of the meta here, so it was below the cutoff that I that I stopped at. It was, um, yeah, a little bit below everything else. Uh, it's one of those wedges that doesn't have a label on yeah. it. The chart you're looking at. So you know, Murtai, we have a lot more people uh, choosing potentially the best deck, or at least the one that has the most play online versus uh, in paper. It's also a moderately expensive deck. I think to rent, so that also helps with doing it online versus in paper. Not that not that people seem like they really really care about buying a lot of paper cards, but we still are coming back out of the pandemic times. Not everyone's really invested in in paper since then. Yep. Um, the other share here, although I cut off at one percent instead of two percent, so let's say if I was to cut off at two percent, like Shane did, I think it would be just about the same. As Murktide, it would be yeah, 19, 20 to 25% in that range where Murktide was at essentially 20%. Murktide, 20% of the meta is super fascinating. It was the largest wedge in energy where it didn't do well. But let's talk about what happened here. So, like I said, the conversion metric that we're going to use on mana traders is six wins. So, what decks did well with six wins? So, there's kind of two ways to look at this. One is the percent of the six wins meta versus the general meta. Okay, so we see how people's meta share changed when you look at winners. And then we can also look at the percent of those decks that managed to make it to six wins. And so we're going to talk mostly about the six, the winners meta essentially and talk about what happened there. So the number one deck in the winners meta here was Merktide. Six pilots managed to get to six wins or better. And that accounted for 13.6% of the winner's meta. So that's a decrease from the overall meta share by a pretty significant amount. But the fascinating thing is another deck managed to get to get six pilots to uh, six wins, and that is Mono Green Tron. Heck yeah. Mono Green Tron went from 5% of the overall meta to 13.6% of the winner's meta somehow. Man. Speaking of Tron... 
something I've noticed a lot of the Tron decks playing lately is a card called Warping Whale. Oh, yeah. Which is basically a charm. Right? Yeah. yeah, it's great. It's Eldrazi charm, it's cool, essentially. It's a cool card. I, I'm just going to yeah. read it really quick, and, and you'll understand why I'm citing it. One and a colorless. Choose one, either exile target creature with power toughness one or less. Option two, counter target sorcery spell. Mm-hmm. And option three, create a 1-1 one, one colorless Eldrazi Scion that has sacked this creature at a colorless. That third one do- mode doesn't come up a lot, by the way. No, it doesn't. But those first two modes are pretty interesting. You know, the first mode being really good against Ragavan and DRC, and the second mode being really good against the Cascade decks. And not just the, the Cascade decks, but target sorcery spell also in- includes expressive iteration, which I think is a really important card just in the format still that we're kind of not even talking about as much as we used to because we're so bored of it being there all the time. Uh, The next deck on the winner's meta was Four Color Blink. So it was 5% of the general meta, 4.5% of the general meta, and it was 9% of the winner's meta. Grixis Death Shadow is a slight riser, and Living End and Footfalls were both stable, Mm -hmm. which is pretty interesting to me. Um, If you think about it through the other way, the percent of decks within each deck that converted from the broader meta to the to the winner's meta, the standouts here to me, I mentioned a couple of them already. Fifty five percent of people who brought Tron had six wins or better. Forty percent of Blink pilots had six wins or better. Thirty three percent of Shadow pilots had uh, six wins or better, and thirty three percent of Elementals pilots had three wins or better, six wins or better. Sorry, but the ones that didn't perform as well, of course, Merktide was only 15%, Living End was only 18%, Footfalls was only 23%, and so uh, on and on from there. I kind of feel like, let's take a look at the top eight really quickly. Like I said, don't have the results of who won the top eight. Oh, Dave, do I have a surprise for you? Did you get it? Great. I'm literally typing them in as you speak. So if, if you start with Position one, <laughs> I'll be done through position eight by the time you finish. Race. Your... Great. All right. So, Build on the railroad tracks in front of the train. Winner. I'm just, is Bautuhina, Baututina, who well known pioneer and other magic player on four color elementals. Uh, that is awesome. Second place, Paxi on blue red Murktide. Third place, Dragon Johns on Yogmoth. Fourth place, Puryurin. On Blue White Hammer, and then fifth place, Dimitrigd on Four Color Blink with Yorian, and then sixth, seventh, and eighth place were all Murktide. So there were four Murktide lists in this top eight, and those pilots were Gerardo94 in sixth place, Jujubean2004 in seventh place, and Mateus34 in eighth place. Mateus, a lot older than those other two. <laughs> Yeah, sorry. Juju Bean, by the way, wow. Everywhere. Killing Just it everywhere. with Murktide lately. Yeah. Qual- won, a, won the super qualifier, top eighting this, doing other stuff. I think that Juju Bean also went uh, seven and two into the top eight, which was which is impressive after I think going ten and zero or something in the in the qualifier recently. So what do you think about this top eight? No living ends in this one. Mm-hmm. Only one blink, but four four Murktide. It really feels like when I see people posting on Magic Online for about Magic Online for some reason, everybody loves Murktide <laughs> yeah. Magic Online meta. Um, and I don't think it's a particularly cheap deck to build versus the other decks. 
I'm not going to put too much stock in two different tournaments, right? But I think right. like when we know that the Magic Online meta is is is, is full of killers, we know that they're going to flock <laughs> to tournaments like this, and we know that they're going to play a deck that gives them a lot of options, right? And I think that you honestly probably stand. I don't know if you'd agree with this because you've played both. Is it Merktide and you've played uh, Crashcade and things like that? I feel like you yeah. have more optionality in a deck like Merktide than you do with with Crashcade. Even though there are interactive spells with Crashcade and things like that, I feel like you know you're, you're playing a different kind of game. Yeah. So the interesting thing with Merktide is that it has more reactive spells. The options in Crashcade are a little bit more responsive in a way that like the teamer's reactive spells are like Brazen Borrower and Stomp and Prismari Command and Fury, and you're like trying to get blockers out of the way more than anything, and Force of negation is like basically your one main deck counter spell with murktide you can play draw go a little bit more consistently but i think the interesting thing with murktide is that because you have like the best one drops in the format nowadays you can actually have an easier time closing out games and like playing a really strong draw grow strategy while still like maintaining a really strong threat on the board and then eventually you get to this point where your monkey has made so many lotus petals for you and like you've drawn a couple of counter spells and a spell pierce and it's just like you can play a late game murktide that's going to win the next turn and also win a counter war or you know answer whatever number of removal spells your opponents might have against the two right they're different types of, they're different types of options that that you have to think about and murktide is more of a more of a counterspell deck. Crash Kate is more of a like, I'm going to do my thing and then get your roadblocks out of the way. For sure. I, I guess I think I also feel like people who play a magic online are never gonna sleep on the on the cascade decks. Do you know what I mean? Like they're they're not gonna ignore living and they're not gonna ignore the crash cade decks. And so they're gonna come more prepared than some paper people might be. I don't I don't know why that might be the case. I just feel like, you know, magic online grinders are probably just playing more often. They know what to expect. They know the metagame a little bit better. They know the dynamics of the metagame a little bit better just because they're more plugged in. Um I think by and large. I'm not saying yeah, the, I- the people at the top, of course, I think are I think they also just have more reps. Like they just yeah. know how to play the yeah. matchups more frequently um, because they're just like grinding these leagues and then playing challenges. And, you know, someone like Juju Bean has probably played Merktide against Cascade countless times, more times than you've played Modern this month. Probably. Almost. Oh, yeah, certainly. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I'm a pioneer guy. I mean, I think. We'll talk about that in a minute. Well, I think that both of those tournaments give us a great idea on what to talk about now with the state of modern in particular when we think about SCG Con Dallas. So should we break the news now about Dallas? What's going on? What's happening? Should we take a break and then do a wind down? Yeah, this is just, just a proper so, Just to say down. we did? Yeah, proper wind yep, down. Yep, I love it. So I just did another tease. So stay tuned after this. Yeah, just just wait for the 10 seconds for the music to separate this section and the next section. There won't be any ad breaks, or will there? All right, we're back. Um, Dave, I, I need to tell Chain a secret, so can you just like not listen to this part? Yeah, sure. Put your earmuffs on, but not your headphones. I'm going away now. I'm going away, bye. 
Hey, Shane. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. there? Yeah. So um, I haven't told anyone this, but yeah. first of all, you're going to be the first to know. Thanks. I got clearance. I'm going to Dallas. I'm, oh, sweet. So A, I'm going to need a place to sleep. Okay. B, B, here's, this is the part that I didn't want Dave to hear. <laughs> yeah. I booked the same flight as him. Oh, great. And I also booked the seat right next to his. <laughs> did you really? I really did. Oh, man, you guys are gonna, you get to play magic the whole time. Oh, okay. D- Dave's back. Dave's back. We should, we should probably Is he calling in about Slack? We don't even use Slack. Hello? Oh, you want me to make sure he has his teddy bear with him? What are you talking about? St- st- Stan? Oh, hey, Dave. Stan, do you have something you need to tell me? Um, I need to borrow a couple of Ren and Sixes <laughs> so I can play Slow Gurk in Dallas because I'm I'm joining you, buddy. Oh, sweet. Oh, well, I know you. That was just your wife telling me to make sure that you didn't leave your teddy bear on the on the airplane. Well, it's very important to our child that I take him on all of our trips so that yeah. you know yeah, yeah, the yeah. baby can be a little bit more of a jet setter too. That's a nice bonding experience. No, this is this is good. This is all three of us. Yep. So it turns out, while well, that was the most convoluted thing ever to say that Stan. You know, we've been talking for a while about Shane and I going yeah, to Dallas. The big, the to big Dallas. reveal. Everyone's going to want to go. Yeah. Now the reveal is Stan is also going to be in Dallas. It's been a big week for news for us. Stan has a press pass now to Wizard stuff somehow. And we got a preview card. And Stan's also going, we're all going to be in Dallas together for the first time since Denver in 2019. Oh, yeah. wow. That's, that's the other thing. Like, literally the first time we'll all actually be in the same room. And, and in our case, all sleeping on the same bed. Well, yeah. No, we, we were in Dave's basement like a year and a year and a half we ago. We did an MH2 spoiler podcast in, in, my, oh, man. in my basement we, last how year. How did we pull that one off? Oh, yeah. Uh, badly. I had the wrong microphone set up, and it oh, sounded God. like I was fr- across the room. I the forgot about that. Um, so, that. so all that being said, we, we are all going to SEGCon. Yeah. Dallas, uh, Fort Worth. The, yeah, Dallas, Fort Worth, Fort Worth. Really, uh, the eighth, D- Dallas is a real misnomer yeah, in this one. The eighth, eighth through the tenth, uh, will be there. Uh, if you, we'll, we'll post photos on our Twitter. If you want to follow us uh, at the Dive Down, we you can see what we look like. If you don't already know that kind of stuff, and look, if you if you want to say hi to us, we are we're dorks. You, you can come say hi to us. We're happy to talk to you. Shane, I don't think anybody who listens to this has any doubt whether we're dark. Oh, that's or not. A, I mean, I think Stan's, that's a, Stan's cool. That's a really good I think point. Stan's cool. So, do, what do you guys want? To, do you want to talk about what you're bringing to this thing? Like, let's just talk yeah. about what. So, what what's informing your decisions? What What do you want to be playing this weekend? What are you hoping yeah, to accomplish? Well, I don't think any of us are playing the main event. Mm, I'm going to play the main event. Oh wow, you're, you're doing really excited. doing it. I love it. Can yes. I ask why? Because he he can win. I'm there. Why would I do anything other than that? Oh, because there's other options. Oh, there's so many options. That's the best part. So, you know, I almost always play main events in these things, but this time around, like, I calculated the expected value. And I just feel like for players at our level, really at uh, at your level, Dave, the EV on a main Dang! event. Man. On a, on a main event. Just. Don't you want to earn prize wall tips (laughs) for more dragon shields? Don't you want a giant magic card? So here's the only reason that I, so I like trying to do the main event just to see if I can do it. Yeah. You know, and I don't mean to discourage you. I'm really just curious about your motivation. You know, I have, I have made a day two in the past, not in constructed, but (laughs) I have. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I I don't know. You know, I might think about it a little bit just because I do think playing side events sometimes is a bit easier. It's a little bit easier to have like a modular weekend 
then if you're like, okay, well, I, I'm not going to play the two o'clock so we can go get lunch and not worry about it. So I don't know. I might be swayed, but um, I'm definitely looking forward to playing playing a bunch of cards. I bought, I got a big pack stack of cards here that I got from from Card Kingdom. Stan, look at look at this entire pile of cards that I got from many different decks and card from Card Kingdom. They got here in two days. I ordered them on Friday. It's Monday. They got here already. Card Kingdom, get at us. Card Kingdom sponsor our podcast so yeah i don't know i haven't pre-signed up for the main event though i'll tell you that yeah so i mean i'm with you stan where it's like i i one i know that it's kind of better for me to keep my my uh calendar kind of clean because it lets me talk to people i like to I really i don't think we can repeat what we did in vegas i think the vibe will be different i think there won't be people from all over the country down there but it's a modern 30k it's a big yeah. event. There's a lot of money at stake. I think there will be uh, some great players down there. I know we'll almost certainly see Everett, Aspiring Spike down there, and uh, a bunch of other names and faces that we know. So I want to talk to those people, uh, interview them about what they're feeling about the format. You know, we're in the post Luris beta. That's a big deal. It'll be fun to just talk to people. I think we won't have quite the same episode, of course, but we'll all be together, so we'll have a different energy there as well. We'll be able to talk about what we're doing on the floor, what what our side events are going like. Uh, we'll probably we can have a you know a chit chat in the hotel room about our days, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So let's talk about Stan. What we're gonna play? Yeah, <laughs> Dave, you're doing the main Worst, event, and Stan. Stan, you can go first. Now, what do you, what do you want to play? You've been doing a lot of work. You've decided not to play this the main event, which I understand, but Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's not all EV. It's also to your point actually, like I think you really nailed it is I kind of want to have a modular weekend where I can like switch between decks inside events because I have spent the pandemic buying new cards that yeah. I've never gotten to play. Like I've never registered or taken like tron to an fnm i've never taken burn to an fnm and i just have them like in pristine sleeve still <laughs> like no bacon would, would love to do those and like maybe like run out slurgurk just for funsies oh yeah that'll be a blast like I, I put together this little bit of a what i call my brewer's box because i have merc tide all sleeved up but like i might want to play a teamer deck which uses like a bunch of the lands yep. and other random cards so like I can like build a deck on the spot. Yeah, I should really bring an archive instead of like a bunch of half filled boulders. I think that's probably a smarter move. Yeah. It, and and the other it, thing I'll say, I just wanted to just one last reason for why I decided not to play in this main event is I want to focus some of my more competitive brain power and even ambitions to qualifying for the regional championship. And I don't know if like spending 80 bucks to play in a 30k that is like just so insulated is going to be more valuable for me than actually just like playing up against a bunch of different decks uh with a bunch of different decks while also being able to like feed myself and walk around and like not be really stressed out about the results of a tournament on like the one vacation i get every like six months i mean i i understand that for sure. No, I'm, I'm sure. going to love the idea of, of Dave doing the main event. We can check in with him on what he's playing. We can scout the top tables, that kind of stuff. So, uh, play side events. I might be, I'm, I'm, I might be swayed. Let's see how it goes. I, like I said, I haven't, I haven't, I'm keeping an eye on how many people have pre-registered. At They're this fun. Point. I mean, main events are super fun. And like, if, if you haven't done one in a while and you enjoy doing them, please more power to you. I would love nothing more than for you to day two and finally legitimize this show because <laughs> the preview card is not it. 
So, so well, Shane's Shane's day two. Yeah, I, yeah, I did day two. I day two. Yeah, like the last GP before we lost all of our GPs, basically. Yeah, so that, that was the last time the pod was good. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about what decks we want to play, though, because that's what people care about. That's what I want to hear about from you all. What yep. are you bringing with you? We've got a few minutes left. Let's talk about it. So you know what's funny is I think I want to play more. I think I might play more Pioneer than Modern uh, at this event. I don't know why. I think I mean we know that Pioneer is kind of the next Pro Tour event. I'm guessing that there'll be Pro Tour events feeding that, not necessarily, but I but our Pioneer channel is has more activity in the last two weeks than it does in the last year and a half i feel like uh there's a lot of people talking about it it is a format that i think people are getting into again aspiring spike was streaming it today uh and so i think that i want to get back into pioneer and become the pioneer guy for the pod again and i'm really i'm interested in rakdos sacrifice mainly because i think i really want to learn a sacrifice deck i've never been good at a sack deck they've always been uh, moderately confusing to me. I never know what sequencing I want to do. I never know when I want to do the thing that the deck does. I never know what the highest value uh, add is, what the best lines are. And so I'm going to have to throw myself at this deck for a while um, to, to learn that. And I think that it's a it's a good deck. And I think that it's it runs Rakdos cards, so I'm interested in it. Uh, and it and it's it's powerful. Like there's some crazy lines. Like you can you know uh, you can play an experimental synthesizer and and just do like you can get four cards for two mana. Like that's what the people over at the Playing Pioneer website were are talking about lines like that. Uh, if you're into Pioneer, by the way, check out Playing Pioneer website. Uh, they're not affiliated with us, but really good content. And in I'm also just generally interested in mono red aggro, of course, in Pioneer. Going back to that, well, I think it's a it's a good deck and a cool deck. Stan's showing me his sleeved up versions. Stan, you sleeved up your flip sagas? No, got to use those replacement cards, my friend. Nah, I'll just, no. I'll just pull them out of the sleeve. I hate doing that. Yeah. Uh, and then, I mean, and what I, you know, what I'm going to do this weekend. I'm bringing back out mono green Tron. I'm bringing some Russian Tron to play uh, once again. I'll believe that when I see I'm it. I'm bringing it. Okay. All right. Stan. All right, Stan, what's in your brewer's box? So I've got three decks already sleeved up. I've got Merktide in, in this box. And then in this dual deck box, I've got Burn on one side and Tron on the other side. And those are the three I'm bringing on the plane, Dave, so that you and I can play games in the airport. Okay. Sounds fun. Because I'm sitting on the opposite side of the plane from you. I was gonna, well, you don't even know. Where, did I tell you where my seat was? You did. You sent me your itinerary. Oh, geez. I didn't realize I included my seat. That's funny. But it doesn't matter. I got three sleeve decks. Um, like Shane, I actually want to try to run out Mono Red in a Pioneer side event just because of the OP system and like Pioneer being like the format of the season. It feels important to like get some reps in, especially in paper, and because I had the deck. Uh, somehow I opened up enough opened up enough booster packs that I had like Kumano faces Kakazan. You, you had a place of Kumano faces Kakazan. I had three. Wow. Yeah. I'm gonna have to look because you know I love playing Chandra just to kill. Yeah. And I know that that's in that list. I probably have those one drops too, the one drop sagas. But yeah, we'll see. Um, and then yeah, like if I can get out one 
run with Crashcade or Living End or Slowgurk. That'd be cool too. I mean, I, I'll be there. I'll be there long enough to play like at least six side events. So it's yeah. You know, I'm really just like I'm going there to party and have as much fun as possible and just like Dan. I'm gonna teach you how to play Flesh of Blood this weekend. By the way. If you say so, <laughs> I'll, I'll bring I'll bring my blitz deck. Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll I have, bring, yeah, I bring I a couple. With, just dude, play with Dave. I I don't I don't have it in me to learn flesh. And oh, you now. do. Uh, well, the main thing I'm going to concentrate on while we're there is making a podcast together because we are going to record live together on Saturday night at some point, like Shane said. Uh, probably, probably between okay. the event and before we go out with fellow citizens of the Dive Town Nation. Exactly, and then um, so what I have that I'm planning on taking with me is I don't think this is much of a surprise to anybody, but the main deck that I'm planning to play, if I do play in the main, is Grixis Death Shadow. Mm. Um, I've been playing it online lately to like reasonable results, and I just think it's like the it's the I want to play an expressive iteration deck. I don't want to play Murktide. I don't want to play four color control or four color blink, even though I do have both of those decks. Which um, shadow version do you like? It's called Grixis. It's blue <laughs> blue, red, and black. But like, are you playing Street Race and Garmog Anglers? Oh no! Are you playing no, Royal I, Scions? I, so I'm very into the list that Michael shared on the on the episode that we did with him a couple weeks ago. Michael Rapp shared. Um, so I have I'm going to have uh, Kaido in the in the list. It's basically the deck before the Luris ban with a few tweaks to include a Planeswalker. Um, I think the deck is is totally fine right now and michael even did well in a team tournament over the weekend with it and posted about it and so i think it's good now i think the sideboard is something that i still am going to be playing around with a little bit i've been playing a lot of um you know spell pierces and fluster storms and stuff like that to get ready for cascade and other annoying decks in that vein um but yeah i want to be playing something with turok too and so i have i got three turoks in the sideboard ready to go i think the other deck i'm gonna have is john saga yep Ready to go. I like Everett's list. I haven't had a chance to play it yet, but his list has uh, three season Pyromancer and three Liliana the Veil. Um, he was kind of killing it last week online. I mentioned a little bit earlier about it. I think that's a really good deck. I'm curious if he's still planning to try it out in Dallas this week. Um, I haven't been able to check out his stream the last couple of days, so I'm not sure where his, his head is at there. But I like those two. And then I'm going to have some prowess deck sleeved up of course just because red cards you know you never I, leave I, home without a prowess deck even if you're yeah. not even going to play magic exactly i have one with me at all times and the fanny and so pack. that i now i do need to actually do all the sleeving up and i also you know when i was mentioning the cards i got from card kingdom i also got cards for that weird mid-range mardu blink deck with malachir rebirth and all that kind of stuff uh, so I have that, and then I also have cards for Hammer. Oh, yeah. I, have, so I, I was going to build up that Malachi Rebirth uh, Pascal Maynard deck as well. I forgot about that. So I'll probably really have Hammer Jund and um, Hammer Jund and Death Shadow, mostly, Prowess. One last question before we sign off. Have you guys ever been to Fort Worth? It's, it's a real it burn cool? metal. Hot in Fort Worth. Is is Fort Worth a, a cool town to hang out in? I mean, I hope so. We have we've we have some you know, we're gonna have a, a founders dinner where we talk about business things. That'll be good. And then we'll go out with friends. I, I trust I trust in Citizen of the Nation Andy to know how to have a good time no matter where he is. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna follow him on Saturday. Yeah, the last time I saw Andy was when a stranger tapped me on the shoulder at a Tenacious D concert and said, Hey, are you Stanislav? And it was Andy. <laughs> That's a very handy story. That's funny. 
It's a true story. We were, we were both at Run the Jewels at Riot Fest last oh. last summer. Did he tap you on the shoulder as well? Uh, no, Killer Mike did though. It was kind of weird. Ooh. I was not expecting. <laughs> Are you it. Dave from the oh. Dive Down? <laughs> Come on stage, sing a song with us. Yeah. Me and Al are really into magic and the dive down. All right. Well, I'm really excited to travel with you guys. Cannot wait to see some citizens of the nation, some other friends of the pod, and just like try to sleep in a little bit. Because I'll be away from... Bring earplugs. Y'all know I snore, right? (laughs) Bring those earplugs. Maybe that wakes at 6 a.m. Yeah. But that wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave us a rating and or review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or just reach out, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word. You can email the dive down at gmail.com. You can also support the show over at Patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can also support us while playing Magic with a Mana Trader subscription. Use coupon code THEDIVEDOWN2022, all one word. Get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. The tournament format for April is Pioneer, so start practicing for your own Pro Tour ambitions with a Mana Trader subscription. You can also use the promo code THEDIVEDOWN2022 over at Barrister and Man. Get some shaving soap, some other shopes other products for all of your grooming needs. Barrister and Man, promo code the dive down 2022. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and see you in Fort Worth.